What's up, everybody? Greetings and salutations. E. Spencer Kite, Thursday, May 18th. 10 things I like about UFC Vegas 73. Before we get into it, the usual sort of run through. Up in the corner, if you're watching on the YouTube channel. If you're not, this doesn't make sense to you. But trust me, there is a QR code where you can scan that. It'll bring you to the Keyboard Kimura Substack page where you will find all of the content I produce every week on that platform outside of my work at UFC.com and OSDB Sports. It is all of these shows in podcast form. It is Next Day Takeaways, Keyboard Kimura Podcast, About Saturday's Action and 10 Things We Learned, the, the two recap posts that I do for UFC events every week. It is all there. There will be other stuff as well, rewatches, features, columns, a bunch of good stuff. It is all there. If you scan that QR code, it will take you there. You can subscribe. Everything will come directly to your email as soon as I hit publish. You can subscribe for free. You can subscribe for $5 per month, or you can subscribe for $50 for the year, which is a $10 savings. Any way you subscribe, I appreciate you. I thank you for doing it. It allows me to continue doing this. It shows me the support. It shows your interest in the work that I do. Those things mean the world to me. It is why I am here. So thank you. Up in the other corner, One Bone, OneBoneBrand.com. New drop yesterday, drop 10. Everyday shorts, new tie-dye color shirts. Listen, I talk about it every time I do this. The gear is phenomenal. Rocking the hat, rocking the Michael. It's the best stuff I have. It's the only stuff I want to wear. They are a Canadian company based out of Montreal doing big things. You are going to keep hearing more and more about this company as we move forward. Trust me when I tell you this. So this is your opportunity to get in on the ground floor and be that person in your group, in your friend group that was in on One Bone before everybody was in on One Bone. It is ultra comfortable gear. It wears well. It washes well. Sizing for everybody. The size chart up on the website, up on the app. You can get that as well. Tells you exactly what you're looking for. Lets you figure out the size that's right for you. I have... Jackets, I have hoodies, I have sweaters, I have shirts, I have long sleeves, I have pants. I'm getting some shorts this week because the every everyday shorts dropped, everywhere shorts dropped. I'm going to have to cop some. It's the best, man, and you're going to hear more from them overall. You're going to hear more about them from me coming up as we go forward. Talking to those boys today. Shout out to Sam, shout out to Adam. Lastly, in the corner at Spencer Kite. That is Twitter and Instagram making a real big push and trying to make a concerted effort this week, especially to focus on social media, to put more of my stuff out there. It is the way that this stuff really resonates and gets out there blown away by yesterday's clip from my conversation with Laura Sanko. Over 15,000 views. Thank you, everybody that checked in on that. So check me out there. Follow me there. You'll see little bits and pieces of all of this stuff. You'll see when new stuff drops. If you're not subscribed, it'll make you subscribe. So that's the way we kick it off. That's setting the table for everything outside of this particular program. But now we get to the good stuff. Now we get to why we're here. 10 things I like about Saturday's fight card at the UFC Apex. Item number one, Mackenzie Dern's openness. So Mackenzie Dern went to her media availability yesterday and talked about some of the struggles she's had, some of 
the challenges she's faced over the last couple of fight camps. And it's, and it's all stuff, mostly stuff outside of the cage. She went through divorce. She took some time apart from her coach, Jason Perillo, and kind of just pulled back and looked at things and, and admitted, look, you could see in those fights when I didn't get a finish in the first round or the second round, the frustration just started compounding. And I was going out there thinking, I've got to finish. I've got to finish. This is the only way I can win. And when I don't, it builds and becomes that tidal wave, that overwhelming sense of you can't get it back and you're trying to get it all back in one shot. She spoke about looking at those fights with Marina Rodriguez and Yan Zhao Nan, who are two very good. And this isn't to say that they're not capable finishers, as we just saw. Yan Zhao Nan going to finish against Jesse Andrade a couple of weeks ago. But they're also very adept at fighting to the rule set, winning rounds and winning fights that way, right? Go out, put two rounds in the bank and win two to one, put three rounds in the bank and win three to two, whatever the case may be. And Mackenzie Dern acknowledged, like I hadn't ever processed things that way. I hadn't ever really put it together that way. And I know there will be people that hear that and look at that and be like, why not? You're in the UFC. It's your, everybody gets to it eventually. Not even everybody gets to it eventually. Some people never get to it. Justin Gaethje doesn't go into fights thinking I'm going to put some rounds in the bank. Michael Chandler doesn't go into fights thinking I'm going to put some rounds in the bank. They go out there thinking I'm going to knock somebody out and we'll see what happens if I don't. And so I appreciate Mackenzie Dern coming out and saying, I had a lot going on. I had to figure some stuff out. I had to learn. I had to grow. I had to develop. And if this is truly something that has taken root for her and alters her approach a little bit, gives her a little more comfort in the octagon, gives her a little more sense of calm and peace in her approach and allows her to potentially be more effective going forward, I'm all for it. Give me more of that. Give me more of athletes recognizing their shortfalls, addressing them, and speaking openly about them. I love it. Item number two, Angela Hill's approach. I think Angela Hill is a fighter that more and more young athletes or, or coaches should show their young athletes because Angie Hill doesn't have blistering power. She's not going out there and hitting you with a one-hitter quitter. She's not a great wrestler. She's not a great submission fighter, anything of, of that nature. But what she is is someone that understands how to, one, play to her strengths, and two, the value and importance of volume and constant activity in fights. And that's not to say that Angela Hill is out there spamming low kicks like she's playing UFC 4. She is out there throwing meaningful, useful, valuable strikes constantly. It's constant touch. It's always just, here's a jab, here's a teep, here's a high kick, here's a body kick, here's a hook, here's something that you have to deal with. And every time you have to deal with things, it means I may not be, and the judges see me being active. Now, it hasn't always worked out for Angela Hill. Unfortunately, Angie's landed on the wrong side of some decisions that she believes, I believe, many believe have been questionable 
over the years. But in terms of the approach, in terms of how to go out there and fight with that skill set, with that being the repertoire you bring into the octagon, it's fantastic. She just, she maximizes everything she has when she goes out there. And I truly do believe more fighters, men, women, young fighters need to watch the way she has evolved as an athlete. She has evolved as a fighter and she deploys her skills in the octagon. She just goes out there, knows the things that work for her, her pace, her pressure, her volume, her conditioning, and just, just relies on them. She's not trying to be anybody. She's not, she's not trying to do too much. She's going to beat you with what she has. And if she can't, it's still going to be a long, miserable night for you. And I really look forward to seeing how this fight plays out on Saturday. Item number three, joint middleweight test for Edmund Shabazian and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. I like this matchup. This is one that feels like it's kind of coming at the right time for both guys. Shabazian got back into the win column last time out against Dolce Lungiambula. Fluffy has won three straight, looked terrific earlier this year against Marc-Andre Barrio, putting a, a pace and a pressure on power bar from the jump. That made it difficult for him to deal with. Eventually got a finish. For me, the reason I, I say it's the right time for this fight for both guys is Shabazian needs a win over somebody like Anthony Hernandez at this stage. Somebody that's coming off some victories, still ascending, still putting it together. Not quite a top 15 guy yet, but on his way there or on the same path trying to get there. Because we've seen the really good run early out of, out of Shabazian. Four straight wins, three straight finishes at the end of that. Win in New York City, the whole nine yards. Great rookie year. Great first year as a member of the UFC roster. But then we saw the bad. And so the get right win over Lungi and Bula is good. It sets you on the right path. Now let's see what you can do against a guy like Fluffy. And on the other side of things, this is the kind of fight Another one of the kinds of fights, similar to, I would say, and a little bit more of a graduation from the Barrio fight, but similar to it in that it's not right up into the top 15, but it's somebody that's been there before. It's somebody that if you're not right and he is, presents a bunch of problems, can potentially present a bunch of problems, is maybe a better athlete, maybe a little more power, a little more pop overall but not somebody that is head and shoulders better than Anthony Hernandez at this point, but a good test, a good measuring stick to see how real this run of success is, how much of it is based on skill and development and maturation for Fluffy versus good matchups, opponent not being quite what we expected of them or thought of them, any of those things. We're going to learn a great deal about each of these men individually by them coming together on Saturday. And for me, that's terrific matchmaking. That's a fight I want to see. Look forward to it. Item number four, outstanding replacement fight. So Emily Decody was originally supposed to face Pollyanna Vienna on this card. Vienna withdrew. The UFC called up Lupe Godinez. And now I get to watch Emily Decody fight Lupe Godinez at a catchweight of 120 pounds, on Saturday, and it's great. It's great. There are moments where 
short notice fights come together. And it's not this, right? We see it all the time. We saw it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we thought Masari Vloyev and Diego Lopez was going to be one way traffic turned out to be terrific. We've seen many fights over the years where the incumbent, the fighter staying on the card gets sort of a, not a layup, but a pretty much a layup, maybe a, maybe a 10 foot jumper with nobody in their face. Right. I think of Jack Della Maddalena and Pete Rodriguez at the start of last year. Della had somebody else lined up, gets Pete Rodriguez on four days notice and just whacks him. We've seen all of those every so often. We see somebody come in on short notice and just throw a spanner in the works and pull off an upset victory and, and introduce themselves. We've even seen a guy on this card, Andre Fialu, come in, show, have a good accounting of himself, give a good performance against Michelle Pejea in a loss that sets us understanding that there's somebody to pay attention to going forward. Seldom do we get fights like this though. And this is, this is, I love it. So props to Godinez for picking up the phone and answering this call. Props to Emily Ducote for taking this fight. It's a tough fight. It's not an easy assignment. Lupi's coming off a good win over Cynthia Calvillo a couple of weeks ago. Ducote's looking to get a, a rebound after losing to Angie Hill last time out. It's a great fight. They're both just outside of the top 15. Find out a little bit more about each, each lady here. As I said yesterday on one question, I want to see if either of them offer some variety into their approach, but regardless of how this one plays out, it should be a fun fight. And when we're talking about fights that come together on short notice and replacement fighters being tapped in, getting a fight like this, pretty impressive, pretty happy with it. Looking forward to it. Item five, Joaquin Buckley at welterweight. Maybe it's because I talked to him that I'm so fired up because he was so fired up and he's always fired up. He's Buck is, is one of those guys that's always pretty energetic, speaks at a high pace, speaks at the pace. I think he's going to work on Saturday in his return to the welterweight division, always fired up, always straightforward, always honest, admitted 85 was too big. The boys were too big. They hit too hard. It's time to come back down. And 170 isn't like, I'm tucking my tail between my legs and going down because I can't cut it up here. Prior to uh, getting going to LFA and eventually then getting signed to the UFC, Joaquin Buckley fought at 170 pounds. He fought Logan Storley in Bellator. That was his last appearance at welterweight prior to this and had some success. He did relatively well. All the things that we like about Joaquin Buckley translate down a division because while he's going to have to lose a little bit of size, the power is going to be there. The speed's going to be there. The size differences aren't going to be as vast. He's going to be able to be, in my opinion, in my estimation, more effective fighting at this weight class. Gets a great chance to prove that, to start that on Saturday against Fialu, a guy he was calling out and looking for when they were both in Bellator. He's excited about the matchup. I'm excited about the matchup. I'm excited about the potential of him at welterweight. Do I think he's going to become champion, even a contender, maybe even not break into the top 15? No, I don't I don't see that for him. There are holes in his game. There are people in this division that are always going to be a challenge for him. But you want to give me an all-action dude like Joaquin Buckley in the middle of the, the second 15 at welterweight? Sign me up. Sign me up. Let's go. I saw Eric Nixick say something 
very recently in all the posts about Francis Ngannou and, you know, addressing some of the, the comments from when Ngannou originally departed with the UFC. And he said, why has everybody got to be so negative? Why can't we be so, why can't we have more positive? I agree, coach. I agree. I'm pumped up. We're halfway through. Quick, quick sip of water and we get to the back half. All right, item number six. Michael Johnson's strength of schedule. So the menace takes on Diego Fajaya this weekend in the main card opener. And I want to read you the list of opponents Michael Johnson has faced in the UFC since entering the, the organization through the Ultimate Fighter. Jonathan Brookins, Edward Fulalato, Paul Sass, Shane Roller, Tony Ferguson, Danny Castillo, Miles Jury, Riza Madadi, Joe Lozon, Glayson Tebow, Melvin Gillard, Edson Barbosa, Benil Daryush, Nathan Diaz, Dustin Poirier, Habib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, Darren Elkins, Andre Feely, Artem Lobov, Josh Emmett, Stevie Ray, Tiago Moises, Clay Guida, Alan Patrick, Jamie Malarkey, Mark Jacasey, and Diego Fajaya. That's a slate, man. I'm not a huge college football guy. I'm not a huge American college sports guy, but those analysts, those folks talk about strength of schedule all the time, right? When you're ranking teams, you look at strength of schedule, not just wins and losses. That is an insane strength of schedule. And I don't care what the wins and losses total is for Michael Johnson through that. You fight that that level of competition. You fight that many tough outs. That tells you who that person is. Win or lose. And there's some wins in there that I mentioned those names and I'm sure people forget some of these wins. Michael Johnson was the last guy to defeat Tony Ferguson before he went on his 12-fight winning streak. He beat Dustin Poirier in Hidalgo, Texas before Dustin Poirier had his resurgence at light heavyweight. He's had some good wins. He's had some really good performances and it's been a lot of tough outs. Like you're, you can't hold it against him that he lost to Khabib, that he lost to Justin Gaethje in Gaethje's debut where he had moments where he had Gaethje on skates. This is a dude that has been around for more than a decade fighting the toughest competition possible. And if you want to say those early names, fine. Those first, even, even if like, to me, it's just the second name. It's just Edward Folalato. Outside of that, it's good dudes. It's good fighters. It's good competition. Paul Sass was a menace. Shane Roller was better than anybody remembers. Former NCAA All-American wrestler from Oklahoma State, I believe. Part of the Cowboy crew. WEC ties, all of that stuff. Miles Jury was good back in the day. Gleason Tebow is still doing things. Melvin Gillard, before he fell off, went down to flyweight, featherweight, excuse me, and faced Darren Elkins, Artem Lobov, Andre Feely, and Josh Emmett. Like, that's a four-pack at featherweight. That's pretty damn tough. And I'm not even a dude that'll sit out here and tell you that Artem is way better than his record. But Artem is still a tough out. And now he's come back up to lightweight, and he's gone two and one in his last three. Since returning, I could make the case that he beat Jamie Malarkey in that one loss. It was a split decision. And if he goes out and beats Diego Fajaya on Saturday, 
and makes it two straight, three of his last four. Every single soul in that building and watching at home should tip their cap to Michael Johnson because he's still here. And as much as some people will say, oh, these guys get these records and they have these successes and it's just longevity. Longevity is hard. Lasting this long is hard. Sticking around and still being competitive at this level against these types of fighters, against these men and women is difficult. And we need to talk about that more. We need to acknowledge those things more and praise the fighters that are able to do it. Everybody wants to find ways to cut these cards down, to cut these men and women down, to cut at the UFC. Let's raise up people like Michael Johnson that have been doing it at the highest level against the best competition possible for a decade. It's hard and they deserve our praise. They deserve our recognition. They deserve our respect. Let's give it to them. Item number seven. Karolina Kovalkiewicz's recent victories. Listen, this is a absolute soft spot acknowledgement. This is a, not going to lie, got a little misty. Somebody was cutting onions up in the den when she got those victories. Because you saw every time she went out there and caught a loss, how heavy it sat on her heart how heavy it weighed on her being. And while winning and losing is absolutely a part of this, and I feel for every athlete that puts their heart and soul and life and body and everything on the line to step in there, when you see just the toll that setbacks and shortcomings are are having on somebody, as somebody that's now covered this sport for upwards of 14 years, it's impossible for me not to feel a piece of that. And so then to see her come back and have these two victories, one over Felice Herring, one over Silvana Gomez Juarez in Madison Square Garden to sort of exercise some ghosts from the Joanna Yin chick fight that kicked off her, her losing streak, her first loss of her career, that kicked off a lengthy losing streak it was really good to see. It was really heartening to see. We spend a lot of time talking about not really, not really sitting in what victories mean for these men and women we kind of move on from things real quickly. And I understand that the schedule and our schedules dictate that that's what we do, but shows like this and moments like this, are an opportunity for me to look at those and recognize how special they are, how meaningful they are. You could see it on her face, what it means, what it meant to be back in the win column, to get that victory in New York. For me, it makes me, in, it, it keeps me interested in seeing Karolina Kovalkiewicz make the walk this weekend. And yeah, I could be up here and say, you know, the way she leans against the fence and gives you the little wink in the introduction. It used to be the passenger on the walkout. Nah, it's it's bigger than that. It's the emotion of it. It's the it's the tie to seeing how big this is and how weighty this is for her. It is for so many other so many athletes as well. But it's really cool to see somebody that's been at the summit 
that's been right up close to the apex of this sport and then fell, bring themselves back, pick themselves up, get themselves back to where they, they wanted to be, and then truly appreciate that and let us all experience it with them. So thank you, Carolina. Item number eight, Alir Latifi's longevity. So Alir Latifi makes his UFC debut as a short notice replacement in April 2013 against Gegard Mousasi. 11 years later, Alir Latifi is still in the UFC. He's nine and six overall in the UFC. He's won two straight heading into Saturday's fight with Rodrigo Nascimento. So here's this guy that was seven and two with one no contest, kind of just a guy. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Folks that cover the European scene and follow the European scene knew who Latifi was. He was having some success, but he wasn't somebody that you thought, hey, this is a guy that's going to be a 10-year vet of the UFC. Lo and behold, fast forward to today, to this weekend, Alir Latifi is still here. And as I said, nine and six in the UFC, two-fight winning streak heading into Saturday. Those six losses, Gegard Mousasi, Jan Bohovic, Ryan Bader, Corey Anderson, Volkan Ozdemir, Derek Lewis. They're all contenders. This dude has hung around for 11 years now, beating the guys that he should beat, losing to top outs, losing to tough outs, good contenders. It's it's cool to see. Like we we find reasons. Again, I know I've said it already. We find reasons to cut these people down and cut at these cards. But like there's good stories here too. There's cool things to acknowledge and recognize. And I know people are going to say, really the fact that he's been here for 10 years is a reason you're excited to see him fight on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because in addition to that, I think everybody that has enjoyed posting Alir Latifi style memes and Alir Latifi shirtless on the beach riding a horse memes and pictures should be excited to see him compete because you've enjoyed the social media of it all. Enjoy him competing. Enjoy him getting in there. It's a good fight against Rodrigo Nascimento. Comes in on a little bit of a an unbeaten run himself. Has some questions for me about whether he can become a guy in this division. And I don't mean a capital G guy. I mean a lowercase g guy. Like, can he be more than just that back end of the rotation guy, as I talked about yesterday? But like, 10 years of Alira Latifi is pretty cool to me. I know it's not a thing that jumps out to a lot of people, but it's a thing to me and I appreciate it. Item number nine, another look at Nick Fiore. Certainly this is one that is just for me. This is strictly me. Nick Fiore made his short notice debut earlier this year against Matoyish Rombetsky. Suffered a loss in that fight, but fought hard. Kept pushing into the third round as Rombetsky got tired and worn down. He had some success. He's a member of the New England cartel. He's had a good record overall, like the actual number. I believe he's six and one now. Hasn't fought a ton of competition. Hasn't fought a ton of great competition. And now he gets a fight with Chase Hooper that feels like a more balanced, more measured, more reasonable way to start grading Nick Fiore. It's not that I'm going to throw out the Rombeshki fight entirely because there's, there's pieces of that that are instructive. There's things you see from that fight that are instructive, but it was short notice. 
and it was his debut. And so just like we give everybody else a little bit of grace, I'm going to give Nick Fiore a bit of grace. And I'm going to see what he does against Chase Hooper in a fight that, to me, plays to Nick's strengths, plays to Chase's strengths, plays to we should get a good, fun grappling battle here, I hope. And I want to just see. Like, just let me see. The New England cartel guys, the two that are in the UFC ahead of Nick, Rob Font, Calvin Cater. Neither of them really came in as like, oh my God, you got to watch this guy, right? Rob Font debuted against George Roop, short notice, went out there and put him out. And he's been in the top 10 for the last like six years now. Cal came in with a good win over Andre Feely, but took a little bit to get himself into that top 10, top five form that we see now. Is it unreasonable to think that Nick Fiore can maybe follow a similar path? And if he doesn't get to those same heights, he at least becomes a valuable, interesting, competitive member of the featherweight sort of middle class. I don't think so. And I want to see it on Saturday just to get that read, just to see where we're at full camp, better matchup, fully prepared. Let's see it. Last one, item number 10, Natalia Silva is fighting. I'm all in on this woman. I am all in on Natalia Silva. I think she deserves to be a part of the ascending pack at flyweight that we talk about as fighters that are going to be prominent and prevalent in this division for a number of years. That is led by Aaron Blanchfield, but includes Macy Barber, Casey O'Neill, Miranda Maverick. And for me, it's five. We include Natalia Silva. She looked terrific in her debut against Jasmine Jusudovicius. Came back in that fight off a long layoff and looked terrific. Got a stoppage win over Teresa Bleda in her last performance. 2-0 in the UFC, still in her mid-20s. All kinds of upside. I think this is a showcase fight. I think she shows out on Saturday against Victoria Leonardo. I'm really looking forward to seeing it because, as I said, not only am I all in, but I just think this is somebody that the more we see her and the more we see her take steps forward in the division, the more we're going to see that she is the real deal. That's it for the program. Those are the 10 things. UFC Vegas 73 takes place on Saturday at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Prelims start at 1 p.m. Pacific. Main card at 3 p.m. Pacific. I will be available on Twitter. I will be watching the fights. I hope you are too. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Follow me at Spencer Kite. Follow the guys at OneBone, at OneBoneBrand on Twitter and IG, OneBoneBrand.com. Go check out drop number 10. We'll see you tomorrow for the Punch Drunk Predictions and the betting show. Love you.